Heidi ho neighboroonies, you are listening to Weird Distractions Podcast, a podcast where we tell you stories of true crime, paranormal, conspiracy theories to provide you your distraction from your everyday life. I'm your host, Alex. And your other host, Christy. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you for listening if you started from the bottom and now you're on episode 10, which, holy crap, we have 10 episodes. That's kind of neat. Woo! Woo! Um, so I don't think we have any other updates other than we're still kicking. We're still alive. Yeah, I think so. Still surviving. What, what are you trying to distract yourself from? Um, this week I'm distracting from my cat. He's been <laughs> extra wild. Wild child. I live, with, I live with him so I can't go anywhere and he can't go anywhere. He's a wild child. He's the sleepy oh. artist at all times. It's a good thing I live in an apartment because he'd be gone if I lived where you live. And yeah. I wish he could roam like Lee does, but he can't. But no. yeah, he's attacking all the windows. It's great because he's a bug eater, but he's coughing up hairballs and he's just losing his shit. So I don't get good sleep anymore. Oh my gosh. No. Yeah. No. Cats are, well, okay. I shouldn't say just cats because I think dogs can also be a handful, but Mm-hmm. I'm in the same boat because my cat, I think I mentioned last episode, my cat's been super needy lately to mm-hmm. the point where, so I had him outside because he loves going outside and I was in the backyard pulling some weeds, kind of keeping an eye on him. And I shit you not, the one second I don't have an eye on him, he ends up in our neighbor's backyard. So I'm like calling him over. I'm like, Lee, Lee, like, come here. No, he's just like, that means I walk farther away (laughs) and I had to quickly look around to see like okay is my neighbor outside no is my other neighbor outside no bolt in the backyard grab him I'm like stomping in my backyard with like weed eater in one hand my pissed (laughs) off cat in the other so yeah I I would say I'm distracting from the troubles of fur baby parenting because your neighbors are nice though aren't they like they wouldn't care if you like had to quick go over and get them would they well, so I, okay, so I have two close neighbors. So the neighbors on the one hand are a retired couple who are super, super nice. The other one on the other side of us is an older gentleman. He's nice, but I feel like he's also a bit opinionated. The other one with the fence? Yes, yes. Is that, where, is that where Lee went or the other one? Yes, of course, that's where Lee went. He went oh, to the one that... Oh, the other one. Oh, no, if it was, oh. uh, if it was the other one, I, I would, I, there wouldn't be a problem. No, he went to the one with the fence and I'm like dude so he's just been losing it since then because he doesn't understand that I nearly had a panic attack because I thought I lost my cat which for all those people that are listening yes he's an animal yes he deserves to be outside but although also also with an animal it's like your baby that's my baby and I'm sorry but I'm very protective of my baby I'm a helicopter fur baby mom don't at me. <laughs> How did he get over there? I had him outside because he was already like whining, like meowing, wanting to go out. And I need to, I need to be productive with the yard because after work, I'm like so full of energy sometimes that I'm like, I need to do something around the house or else whatever. So I was outside. He didn't like, like, up the fence, did he? No, he just like, so there's a part of the neighbor's backyard where... There, it, the fence kind of ends, and it's just like he has a shed and a little bit of a garden. Oh. So he walked over where the garden was and cut through there. So I literally had to jump my neighbor's garden. To get, it was a, it was a, it was 
a mission. It was a, it was a mission. That's a better word for it. It was a mission. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so I'm with you there. Cat, our problems. cat, cat problems, cat owner problems. Speaking of difficult things, <laughs> I don't know how else to segue into true crime, but <laughs> <laughs> from cats. <laughs> From cats, um, we are chatting about true crime, and this was actually a listener request, which is super exciting. Once again, uh, Christy, where can people email their story requests to us? Um, they can always email us at weirddistractionspodcast@outlook.com. Please we, and thanks. We would love to cover any story requests um, within reason. Like, don't say like I want you to cover seventeen stories in one episode. Go. Because I'm sorry, but I get annoyed. Don't have the time for that. <laughs> Nobody has the time for that. And if you do, then I'm sorry. But where, where's your income coming from? <laughs> I kind of want that job. Anyways, um, but this is from my coworker, Jessica. Hi, Jessica, if you're listening. Hopefully you still are at this point. She, it's funny because, so we have a couple friends slash, I know I've had a couple people been like, I really like your, episode, your show, but like some of the stories you say, or like you tell are really spooky and scary. <laughs> and but like, like that's the shit we love. You need to love it too. That's that's the whole point. But Jessica's been a trooper and she's continued to listen. Um, and she suggested the story, which when I saw where it was from, I was like, holy crap, I have to cover it. So this story is actually taking place in Guelph, Ontario, which is where ironically enough, both Jessica and I went for our undergrad. Um once a griffin, always a griffin. Am I right? Just kidding. I hate the fact I said that. <laughs> Say no, nope, because I never went. <laughs> nope. I literally, it's funny because I'm very much like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like, I'm so, like, I am proud of myself that I, like, I went for post-secondary. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because I've never gone to any of my graduations except for high school. And when I went to our high school graduation, I was pretty not sober. So <laughs> I feel like your like post secondaries are just a joke because there's just so many people. So you're a just sitting there in your robe and just waiting forever for your section to be called up. And exactly. you run across the stage and you're done. I'm pretty sure I literally worked during my during both my graduations, which was needed because both both times I went to so I went to university and college. Both times I went, I could barely afford it. So. <laughs> Gotta make that money. Gotta make that money to pay for school, to then get a job, to pay off for the schooling I took, to then, you know, pay for life. And just the cycle continues. And just the vicious cycle continues. But back to our story that I swear we will get to. Um, So our story is a story most foul, and it starts with a gentleman by the name of William H. Harvey. So... Unfortunately, there isn't a heck of a lot out there about him. Um, What I could figure out was that he was probably born maybe in 1834. So we're kind of going back to the old days. But I don't know when he was born. So once again, I can't tell you what his astrological sign is. And it's driving me insane because he could have been a Gemini. He could have been a Virgo. We never know. How dare you? You need to know this stuff. I need to know this stuff. And it's funny because I'm not even that into astrology, but since we've started this podcast, for some reason, I just am. <laughs> uh, anyways, we're going to start. So he potentially born in 1834, 1834 which is just my guesstimate. Uh, we're actually going to start the story in about 1875. So 
Apparently, William's father and uncle ran an ironworks company in England, which wasn't super successful. Uh, and it actually stopped shortly after, or shortly mid 1870s, which then led to William moving or immigrating to Montreal from England in 1875, where he secured employment with the Dominion Paper Company and then the Dominion Bolt Company until the la- latter was moved to Toronto in 1881. So I'm assuming he was working, it didn't say, but I'm going to speculate wildly that he was working with his father and uncle. The company didn't pan out. He immigrates to Canada, specifically Montreal. Company moves from Montreal to Toronto. Yeah, assuming he goes all the places. Yeah. Um, So he married a woman by the name of Matilda, and they had two daughters, Lillian, who was the eldest, and Geraldine, who was actually the youngest, um, they also had a son, so a third kid named Willie, who is the middle, if you weren't following along. <laughs> um, and during the story, Willie would actually be staying at a boarding house to do an apprenticeship with an engraving company in Toronto. Apparently, they actually had five kids in total, but the two of the five passed away due to the diphtheria epidemic, which essentially is a pandemic, sort of kind of like what we're dealing with now with Corona. So, pandemic! I was going to say pandemic fever! And I'm like, I don't know if that's appropriate! Sorry! (laughs) I've also learned a lot of times I'm apologizing in this podcast, so I'm really living up to the Canadian stereotype. Sorry for every other word. Sorry. 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 Can I hold the door open for you? Sorry. 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 Have you tried Tim's new donut? Sorry. No. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, but so sorry. So sorry. So William uh, was an active member of his church, and he actually was even uh, the superintendent of its Sunday school. He was known to be quiet, educated, uh, used his manners. He was a little bit guarded, and he didn't drink. So essentially... We wouldn't have been friends. <laughs> I mean, I like people who are very, who use their manners, but like, I don't know. You have to drink. No. <laughs> you have to be a, a strong, strong drinker. No, just kidding. Um, he was very close with his youngest daughter, Geraldine, and was often seeing, uh, kind of helping her, playing with her. A lot of times he would like walk her to school. Like it was, it was really cute, apparently. Uh, everyone who liked William liked him instantly, just because he was a he was a quote unquote good guy. Which I feel like in most of the stories revolving true crime, the people are fucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Essentially, don't judge a book by its cover, even if the cover is nice. Uh, so. Bad investments and periods of unemployment uh, had bankrupted William. Matilda and Geraldine were often ill, which would add to financial troubles, of course. The Harveys were in debt, and William had to even take out a loan from his employer at the time. Yikes. Yeah, so things aren't going so great. He, so he was given the loan, and a couple of weeks later, he rejoined a firm um, but left when the plant moved to a new location in 1883. So he left, might have been let go. I don't, it wasn't really, like, some accounts said he was let go, some accounts say that he, he himself chose to leave, so I don't know. But either way, he didn't tell Matilda. He did not let her know that he was out of work, which... Risque. 
risky and I'm sorry, but always, if you're in a romantic relationship, you should always tell your partner if you've lost work because it's, if you don't, it's going to end up in a really bad situation. That's all I'm going to say. Um, she actually found out that he lost his job when she called the place he was quote unquote supposed to be working at. And she's like, Oh, is William there? And they're like, nah, he hasn't worked here in like three weeks. <laughs> and she prob- probably, what? yeah, what? Um, so yeah, things financially were going good. Both William and his wife were proud people and refused assistance um, unable to work and refusing food, uh, unable to ad- obtain work and kind of being like, I'm not going to take social assistance or anything. Um, he would often choose to starve himself to let the other members of his family eat. He would then also become depressed. He was often seen pacing around the house for most of the night, like he wasn't sleeping. And essentially things just were getting pretty meek. Um Triggering. Yeah, he was unemployed for more than six months, and the family relied almost exclusively on Willie, so their their son, uh, for income. So not he not the man of the house. No. So compounded with the grief of losing his two children previously to uh, the diphtheria pandemic, and obviously the financial predicaments, people started noticing that Harvey wasn't himself. Like he was he was doubted out. Especially during winter months because the seasonal affective disorder, hello. And not only that, but financially it's and financially and employmentally, I don't know what the word is, but it's harder to find work in the wintertime, right? Mm-hmm. There's opportunities. Yeah, exactly. But things would change. So in the spring of 1884, Harvey secured employment with E.R. Clarkson, a well-established Toronto accountant who specialized in bankruptcies. Clarkson quickly recognized William's abilities, and in 1887, um, Clarkson actually sent the Harvey family uh, to Guelph. So I should have mentioned this before. They were living in Toronto. Now they're moving to Guelph um, to sort out the affairs of World Publishing Company owned by J.W. Lyon, an American exile. Scandalous. Lyon did not hesitate to spend money for a good value. He offered William a salary of $25 per week and allowed him to set his own hours of work. $25 a week back then was a a really good wage. Um, And it would put Harvey's, it would put the Harvey's in the upper ranks of Guelph's middle class. William and Matilda rented a four bedroom house on the Northwest corner of Woolwick and Edwin streets, one block South of London road. Things seemed to be going well until William began wanting Matilda to be more kind of careful with spending money in the spring of 1888. Um, Geraldine was in private boarding school at the time, though, and he would still throw these like lavish birthday parties for the family. So it's kind of contradicting a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. He would tell her, like, don't spend all this money like we need to be you know, saving this, yada, yada, yada. But then he would still put Geraldine in boarding school, like private boarding school. Which ain't uh, cheap. Which isn't cheap. I don't think, even back then, I don't think it was cheap either, based on, you know, the economy back then, which I know very, very much about. Jokes. Uh, (laughs) And would throw all these lavish birthday parties. So in 1888, uh, J.W. Lyon spent most of that year out of town on business trips, which... 
he left the office entirely in the hands of William. In March 1889, he was backing well for an extended period. On March 16th, particularly, he looked over some of the company books and noted that there had been not, like, there wasn't, things weren't adding up, essentially, long story short. Um, there were no postings in the books for about four months, which is a very long time not to be keeping track of finances. Um, he asked William to bring them up to date at once. Harvey completed, or sorry, William completed the work on March 21st after continually pestering from Lyon. So Lyon's in, Lyon's in town, he comes back, he looks at the books and is like, where the fuck is the last four months? He starts pestering, like he has, concerning that he has to pester his own employee to do his job. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a red flag. So finally, so the books, so William submits the books to Lyon on the 21st. On the 22nd, Lyon had time to examine the books without any interruptions. Uh, unfortunately, to his dismay, he found a series of false enterings, changes, and incorrect additions going back to April 1888. Obviously, Lyon was pissed off, uh, but he wanted to still believe William as William was brought in to help Lyon from the mess of his last accountant. So he's like, crap, Like I, the last accountant before William was a piece of shit. I'm bringing this guy in to help. Things are getting sticky. I want to believe he's a good guy because that's how he, you know, that's how he presents. Mm-hmm. But something's not right. Stop working out. Exactly. So Lyon would confront William the following week about what he had found. Uh, Lyon's, Lyon, so when he was confronting him, William was not really outwardly admitting anything. Um, Lyon had difficulty believing that William was capable of embezzlement, but he had hopes that, you know, maybe it was a mistake, he would apologize for the discrepancies, not a big deal. William at first, obviously, as mentioned, denied that there was any irregularity in the accounts, uh, but under pressure, eventually, he admitted that he falsified entries and stated that the the amount was not much, like there wasn't much of a different, much of a difference from what was stated as to what was actually there. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not over a thousand dollars, which in that time, still enough. That's still enough, right? Like, it's that's that's a couple months of pay for old William. It's a rent payment. Exactly. In today's day, that's a rent payment. That is a mm-hmm. that's a that's a good rent payment in these days. Seriously. <laughs> Um, so Lyon, of course, became really pissed off uh, because William was so reluctant to answer questions fully and directly. He told William to make out a statement of the amounts he had embezzled. By late afternoon, Lyon had decided that his only course was to have William arrested. So William would be arrested on Monday, March 25th. Uh, before leaving the office, though, William asked to make a phone call to Dr. Stephen Lett, a medical director for the Homewood Sanitarium, which... Side note, Homewood Sanitarium is uh, just Homewood now, and it still remains in Guelph, which is kind of cool. At some point, I would like to cover Homewood because apparently there is a lot of spooky stuff that happens there or has happened there. It's an an old building, so and I used to volunteer there, and it's just, oh, it's so great. I I almost want to say it's so great there. No, it's a really cool layout. It's interesting. Yes. So he asked for this doctor to be called. At this point, William's facing two charges of embezzlement, one for $200 uh, 
uh, in April 1888, and the other listing varying sums, sorry, totaling about $500 from October 1888 as well. Uh, Dr. Lett shows up. No one really knew that they were friends before this, so it was kind of odd for Dr. Lett just out of nowhere to come and, you know, be there when he's getting arrested. But Dr. Lett actually agreed to post bail for William, which was about $2,000. So, yeah. But that wouldn't actually be until, I believe, later on, on the 25th. So fast forward to the morning of March 26th, uh, where William was released on bail and went to J.M. Vaughn's hardware store and bought a revolver, putting it on Lyon's account. He then went hmm. back to the family home. Oh. And... And in capitals, I put, shit's about to go down. So at this point, gossip's already spreading super quick in Guelph because, you know, Guelph wasn't probably a big place as it is now. Um, And because the Bonds hardware store cashier was concerned about William's well-being and the purchase of the revolver, they contact police. So Guelph Police Chief Frederick Randall and actually Reverend George Harvey, which there's no relation to him and William, just the same last name, um, of St. George's Church made a visit to William at his home. In a quite a non-alarming way, William told each one of them that he obtained the gun for protection and that he and Lyon were on good terms. Like, there wasn't any bad blood. Things were fine. Like, yeah, you know, they had disagreement. Lyon got him arrested, but they're cool. They're cool, which... Probably not. <laughs> no, no. Like, I don't think it's really... I don't think you can ever end up on cool terms after you have somebody arrested, but that's just me, I guess. I don't know. And go by a gun. Yeah. Right. Um, William promised to return the gun and that he would appear for a scheduled court appointment later that afternoon on the 26th. Because Chief Randall didn't have a warrant to seize the gun, he and the Reverend left without making any further arrests. And I mean, like... At this point, you know, despite the fact that he just embezzled his employer or his employer's uh, client, however you want to frame it, of money, he wasn't seen as still a criminal. He wasn't seen as like this vicious man. Um, You know, they're just like, okay, so he bought it for protection, which I mean, whatever, but it is what it is. They didn't have any legal grounding to keep them. So sometime between 10 a.m. and 11 a.m., William would wait until Lillian went out on a brief errand and then went into the clothes room and fatally shot Matilda from the back of the head. How dare he? Yeah. When Lillian returned, sorry, when I think I said when Lillian, when Lillian, <laughs> when Lillian returned, uh, William followed her into her bedroom and shot her in the back of the head. Rude. William then crossed Woolwick Street to Miss Alice's Miss Alice Hayward's private school where Geraldine was. He pulled her out of school and took her home. Walking hand in hand, they proceeded back into the home where William then proceeded to kill Geraldine in another bedroom the same way as her mother and older sister. Now only Willie was left. Shitty dude. To avoid being uh, seen at a train station because... William had decided at this point that he wanted to go see his son to... Probably. Yep. Um, He actually walked to Hespler, where he hired a wagon and drove to Harriston. There he boarded the train for Toronto, which is where Willie was staying. Mm -hmm. He was doing his apprenticeship and staying in a boarding house. Um, Before William left... Or, sorry, no. When William arrived to the city... 
At some point, William sends a letter to Willie, is what I'm trying to get across. Uh, he sent it to the boarding house, telling his son to me at the corner of Young and King Street. The letter specifically reads, My dear boy, I am in town for the night. Will you come down and stay all night with me? Walk down the west side of Young Street and the north side of King Street to Palmer House. I may come up and meet you, your loving father. So sincere, but not going to end that way. Yeah. So Willie's loving father definitely intended to kill Willie. And then the eventual plan was to then kill himself or, you know, attempt suicide. Luckily, Willie actually never received the letter. Oh, good. And when William didn't appear at court, Chief Randall went to the house and with went to the house, sorry, with the constable at approximately 3 p.m. They had to break into the into the house through a window since both the doors front and back were locked. And when they entered the home, they found a scene that left them shook. So they found Lillian, Matilda, and Geraldine. There was blood all over the house. It was just a disaster. Um, Randall quickly sent telegrams to police departments across southern Ontario looking for William Harvey. The reverend sent an urgent uh, message to Willie, because at this point he was notified as well, telling him to get on the first train to Guelph. Willie's train probably passed the one that was taking his homicidal father to Toronto, hence why he didn't get the message from his dad. So, like, the timeline is it's kind of not specific, but at some point, Willie got the message from the Reverend. Come back. Yeah. Um, so, when the Toronto police received Chief Randall's telegram, they sent Detective William Black to Willie's boarding house. There's a lot of Willies and Williams in this story. I was just saying, it's going to get a little confusing. It's a very popular name. So when Detective William Black went to the boarding house, the landlady said that Willie had left in a hurry to catch a train, but a message had arrived for him. So following the instructions in William Harvey's letter, William Black, that's for William Black, went to the intersection of Young and King. He saw a man whom he thought was acting in suspicious manner that fit the description of Randall's suspect. Black seized the man before he could reach for the revolver in his coat pocket. So... William Harvey was finally caught and taken back to Guelph. This whole thing shook the entire town slash future city of Guelph at this point in time because nothing like this had really happened. I mean, it was still kind of, I believe, kind of a little bit of an evolving place at this point in time. Um, And just based on the fact that William Harvey was such, like, a nice guy, he was quiet, you know, his family was very proud they didn't ask like there was just so many to be so nice and then turn into like a cold cold cold-blooded killer just kill your whole family shoot them all and leave and go try and kill your son yeah exactly so apparently hundreds of people were waiting at the train station to get a look at the accused killer from his return to toronto apparently more than three thousand people attended the funeral for lillian geraldine and matilda which was held at saint george church saint george's church sorry um In spite of the horrific nature of the crime, apparently there were some people who actually sympathized with William's actions. As far as even blaming Lion for the tragedy, which I'm sorry, this... No. Yeah, yeah, like you can... Sure, he's mad at the guy, but don't sympathize with a family killer. What? No, exactly. Uh, Apparently people were saying that if he hadn't had William arrested, that quote-unquote poor man maybe wouldn't have gone crazy and murdered his family, which... That's not how it works. That's not how mm-hmm. it works. I'm sorry. If if you do something illegal, you're gonna get arrested for it. That doesn't give you a that doesn't give you the right to murder your freaking family. Yeah, it doesn't give you a free ticket to be a freaking psychopath. 
No. Nope. nope. Uh, in jail, apparently William hardly spoke a word to anyone. He was super, like, if you thought he was quiet before, he was uber quiet now. Um, the only thing he would say to people that would ask him about the situation was he had no memory of his actions on the day of the murders. Uh, he spent his time writing long letters to his son, Willie. So <laughs> William's trial began on October 30th. His defense counsel, led by W.M. Launt, argued that William was insane when he committed the murders. Of course. Of course. Um, four psychiatrists, which back then they were actually called alienists, uh, including Dr. Lett, um, testified to the notion that Willie, sorry, William was insane. Um, and Dr. Lett was actually one of the Ontario's leading experts on mental illness at the time. But I still don't, like, there's still no connection as to what, how he knew William beforehand. Like, were they friends? Did he see? Yeah, he just came out of nowhere. He just came out of nowhere. So the Crown Prosecutor, E.F.B. Johnston, uh, said William knew exactly what he was doing. His principal witness was Dr. George Herod, 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 whatever, I'm so, um, a local, a local general practitioner who was the physician for the Wellington County goal, which is what we used to call jails. Now they're just jails, uh, to testify against the insane plea. Dr. Herod testified that an insane man could not have plied the devious route William used to get to Toronto or the plan to lure Willie into an ambush. The jury only took one hour with a finding of guilt uh, to three counts of murder. Good. His sentence, his sentence, death. Death. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, apparently, some people thought this was bogus and that the jury didn't actually understand any of the medical psychological evidence. But at this rate, it's like, Okay, but does that matter? Like, Homeboy killed his wife his and family. his daughters. He was planning on killing his son. Like, it's all premeditated. He bought the gun before. He bought the gun before. He had enough time. Like, oh, I just just this story kind of made me up, upset because I get it. Like, he was a he was a prime citizen of the community or what have you, but he's still a piece of shit who killed his wife and his two daughters and was going to kill his son. Like, yeah, like it's most people you're just like, oh my God, I didn't think they would ever do that. Like they never seemed that way, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, that doesn't mean they have to cut a break either. It just means that they, she's had a bad day. I don't know. Choices. 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 So Harvey went to the gallows on November 29th, 1889. The hangman was apparently an amateur, a local laborer who agreed to do the job for about $25. So we can guess how this is going to go. <laughs> so the hangman messed up. Shocker. And Harvey died from a slow strangulation. Dr. Harrow did not declare William Harvey dead until 15 minutes after he swung aloft. 15 minutes. 15 minutes just hanging there. Like, That'd be bad if you were sitting there watching it. Just be like, do 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 do. Well, and back then, like that was like a prime that that was prime TV. Primetime TV was watching people at the gallows, right? Mm. But fifteen minutes, fifth. Ricky. Ricky. We don't condone death, but. Or hangings. Oh, nope. Or hangings. We're not here for the death penalty per se, but he did kill his wife and two daughters in case you missed that so uh harvey or sorry william was 
55 at the time of his hanging. The Harvey residence at Edwin and Woolwick Streets survived until the late 1960s when it was demolished to make way for a service station. And right now, William Harvey is buried with his victims in Woodlawn Cemetery. And that is the story of William H. Harvey from Guelph, Ontario. Thank you, Jessica, for that recommendation. I am sad. Sad that it was local-ish. <laughs> well, I feel like I've definitely been to the Woodlawn Cemetery before. Like, I remember when I worked in Guelph, um, I would take... Oh, this is going to sound really disturbing. So I worked at a respite home, and I would take some of the kids I worked with on, like, road trips just around Guelph. And I remember a couple times, they're like, oh, let's go drive around there. And it was the Woodlawn Cemetery. <laughs> so now just a little field I, trip to the cemetery. Yeah, just a little field trip to the cemetery. And I remember once I had a really intense conversation with a kid about death in general. And like, you know, it's a part. I know. I know. And this was before I was like in the mental health field or anything. So I was just like a very nervous, I think like 19 year old being like, uh, uh, just um, shit your ass. <laughs> yeah, literally just hoping for the best hoping for the best but expecting the worst it didn't go bad i don't think he was traumatized i haven't seen him in a couple years so we'll see (laughs) but um it's it's just crazy because now that i know that he like he's buried there i kind of want to just like go check it out as like a spooky ookie trip but Mm -hmm. you never know i think if people i'm sure people in guelph know about the story so i assume maybe he might have an unmarked grave it didn't say I know that sometimes they would leave unmarked graves for murderer or convicted murderers or serial killers. Mm, um, they're getting vandalized and all that jazz. Yeah, exactly. Um, so once again, thanks just for the story recommendation. Definitely thanks. appreciate it. Uh, definitely a good one. One that I literally had never heard of until she's like, you should cover this one. I was like, cool. Okay. And I looked into it. I was like, what? Uh, the resources that I used, surprisingly, not Wikipedia. Oh, I was going to say, let me guess, Wiki. No, Wiki, Wiki was not on, Wiki Wiki was not on my <laughs> resource list this week. So it was Wellington Advisor article, Harvey trial involved embezzlement, murder, execution. And uh, the article from the Guelph Mercury, murders in 1889, almost unmanned. Guelph police chief was reading that out loud. Oh my gosh, that's so <laughs> awful. Why would you say that? I mean, yes, it's, it was back then, but don't be mean. Yeah. Jesus, merciful. Anyways, Christy, tell these weirdos where they can find us on social media, where they can email us, all that fun stuff while I take a drink of my cider because I need it. <laughs> Yeah, you guys can find us on a number of platforms. So we are on Anchor. Uh, you can stream us on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcast. If you're on Apple, feel free to leave us a rating. You don't have to leave a message, but just any kind of rating would be great. Uh, it is on Google Podcast, Breaker, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Casts. And then again, you can email us, as Jessica did, with any suggestions or anything else you want to say to Weird Distractions Podcast at Outlook.com. You can tweet us on Twitter at WeirdDistractI, number one. Again, WeirdDistractI, number one. And hit us up on our Insta page at WeirdDistractionsPod. Beauty. And um, I will say thank you to everyone who has listened so far. We definitely are still trying to work out things and how you want to do the show. We definitely appreciate those who have already provided positive feedback and even 
um, some suggestions and criticism because it's only going to help us in the long scheme of things. Holy shit, I cannot believe we have 10 episodes. Like, crazy. Crazy. Um, and I think that's it on my end. Once again, please don't hesitate to uh, send us an email, shoot us a message if you've got any recommendations or want to correct us on something because, as you can tell, I can't read. <laughs> kidding no um but if i pronounce things wrong or if we both pronounce things wrong just let us know because we like to be educated we're learning we're learning uh and always remember you can always find a distraction in the busiest of times if one simply looks for the weird thanks for listening bye The world is a confusing, stressful, and often frightening place. And we each have our own unique coping mechanisms that help us get by. Some people will tell you that when life gives you lemons, you should make lemonade. No, that's terrible advice. Just randomly getting free fruit is extremely suspicious. Haven't you heard of Snow White? That's actually uh, a really good point. It's usually not a great idea to consume anything if you're not totally sure what's in it. If you're the type of person who copes with discomfort by making strange jokes and who enjoys losing yourself in a creepy and sometimes bloody mystery, please join us for our dark comedy podcast, Studying Scarlet. We alternate weekly between true crime and fictional crime, and we even take listener requests for episode topics. So if you too have a morbid sense of humor, we'd love to welcome you into our weird, quirky, and sometimes disturbing world. Studying Scarlet is available on your favorite podcast app, and you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We can't wait to meet you. Please subscribe today.